Hello, and welcome to the Sporting Max Podcast, where we take a snapshot of the current sporting world. Today's episode is brought to you by Beckon, Melbourne's leading concrete placement specialist. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. I'm your host, Max Becker, and today we're joined by AFL Richmond wheelchair footballer, Chris Henderson. Welcome, Chris. G'day, mate. How, thanks for having me. Uh, so, Chris, in your debut season, you had a clean sweep, winning the Premiership and the best on ground in the grand final. Richmond's Jack Dyer medal is the best and fairest. You won the league best and fairest, and you were also selected in the team of the year. How is all of this, these things possible to accomplish? Uh, yeah, I, I don't quite know the answer to that, to be honest. It's a bit tricky because the, the start of the year, I just wanted to go and play footy. So the thought of all those other things were really not even in my... I didn't know if I'd even get a game. So yeah. um, I went along to a come and try day. Um, I was I was okay with the footy skills, but I was yeah. pretty crap in a, in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, but Richmond saw something in me being able to hand pass left and right hand, I guess, was pretty important in, this, in yeah. that sort of footy. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so, yeah, so, mate, the first two rounds I didn't even get to play. I was on the bench. Uh, I was playing the reserves effectively. And so I started round three of the year. Mm-hmm. So um, it took me a while to get going, and I just practised really hard on getting my chair skills good enough that I could play. So then, uh, yeah, still quite surreal that all that stuff happened for me. How many rounds are in a season? Uh, I think there's nine plus oh, yeah. a couple of weeks of finals, yeah. Let's jump back a bit. I heard that you were a gun footballer before you were diagnosed with MS. Take us through your childhood and your football life before being diagnosed. Max, I'm not quite sure where your research is coming from because I'm not sure if that's how I would describe myself. I was an mm-hmm. okay footballer. Um, <laughs> good left foot and that's, yep. about, that's about it. Uh, so I grew up in Ballarat. Yep. Played footy in Ballarat all my junior life and then when I was 18, 19, I moved up to Bendigo and played footy up there. So yep. grew up playing with YCW and then went to Sandhurst in Bendigo League. I went out for a couple of years and played out in the bush at a place called Huntley. And then was sort of early 20s. Um, wasn't sure if I was good enough to be drafted. So I thought I'd give myself the best chance I could. So I went over to Perth to try and play in the Waffle. Yep. Uh, I signed with East Perth over there. Um, and I was I was okay, but I wasn't quite good enough at that sort of waffle level. So went back and played amateurs. It was a site over there called Mount Lawley um, and then came back to Melbourne in about 99, 2000. So I played footy um, all over the country, I guess. Yep. Um, but for me, footy's been more about sort of that social mates, friendship and all those kind of things, which is really important. So, yeah. How did you become diagnosed with MS? Uh, mate, it was interesting. I was, uh, it was just, it was the day after Richmond won the 2017 grand final. Yep. Was it 2017? Yeah, it was. Yep. Um, and so normally I was going to go for a run and, and that mm-hmm. morning, and but there was all these people partying out on, we live just near Punt Road. Oh, yeah. So I just went for a run around Faulkner Park and then, um, my wife and I went out for breakfast and my legs felt funny. My legs yep. felt a bit weird. Like I described it like I had a cricket pad on or something. I couldn't really feel them. They were a bit numb. And it was just a weird sensation. Over the next few weeks, 
my legs um, became weird and, and I sort of was struggling to walk very far. And so um, I ended up, I went to a doctor and then ended up in hospital and they did a bunch of tests and yeah. um, then I have a, what's called a spinal tap and that confirmed um, what I still thought was just going to be a bit of a back issue or something, but it was, um, it was MS. So started treatment the next day and was in hospital for a few weeks with that. And then um, it took about eight to nine months for them to get my treatment. Okay. And then from there I could sort of, yeah, function at a level that's sort of okay I could sort of get around again and all that sort of stuff but I had to sort of get myself to walk a little bit I couldn't really walk much at all I'd sort of walk I don't know maybe 10 meters and I'd sort of be cooked so I had to sort of slowly get up to sort of being able to go on the treadmill here and you know walk 400 meters and then walk five six hundred meters and sort of just work my way up to it so um yeah that's kind of where where it is I guess Tell us about your mindset when you were forced to give up footy after being diagnosed. Yeah, so when you're diagnosed, the, the first thing that is, is you can't have any head knocks. You can't, yep. so MS, the lesions on your in your brain and on your brain and in your spine, um, you've got to be really careful with those things. Yep. So, um, so, yeah, I was pretty devastated to give up footy. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm older now. Um, so for me, footy's about friendship and mates and being yep. active and all those sorts of things. So having that taken away from you is a really tough uh, thing to have to deal with. Yep. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was hard. It was really tough to be able to sort of have that. Again, I'm in my 40s. So for me, I've done that all my life since I was five or six. So, you know, for nearly 40 years, footy's been a huge part of my life during winter and um, and so yeah it was pretty devastating to lose it did being diagnosed with ms change your outlook on life um maybe 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 not in the, not at the start i don't think i, I yep. think at the start it was just about um how i just had to sort of get through i had to kind of work out what my new normal looked like and and what that meant and what I could and couldn't do anymore. Um, you have to sort of get your treatment right first as well. I guess that's the other critical thing. Um, and once that was done, then I think, um, yeah, perhaps you start to stop trying to um, push yourself too hard. Yeah. You've got to sort of look after yourself. And, you know, one of the things about MS is you've, it's really important to get rest. Um, Someone once said to me that, you know, every day's got like three, like a morning, an afternoon and a night. Ooh. And I've only, really got pet, I've only really got petrol tickets to do two things. So if I'm working yeah. in the morning, in the afternoon, then night I should be resting sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's, so I guess you just kind of, um, my outlook on life probably changed a little bit because I probably don't sweat the small stuff like I once did. Yep. Growing up, I was always a bit of a worry and I'm probably not quite so bad as what, what, what I used to be, I guess. So um, that's probably the main thing though, mate, yeah. Tell me about how you became alert of the opportunity to play wheelchair football and what you had to do in order to enter and complete like the draft process. Yeah, so it was funny, mate. I, we were living down in Torquay mm-hmm. and I was working up in Melbourne. So I was driving up and down and I'd just been diagnosed. So I was pretty crook. 
Yeah. But um, and so I was on the listening, driving um, home one afternoon, and it was SEN Radio was on. Yeah. And uh, so uh, there was a guy there called Brendan, Brendan Stroud, who's the captain coach at Collingwood, and he was on the radio. And so I, I jumped on my phone and dialed into SEN and got on the air and actually asked mm. the question if, if a guy with MS could play this footy. And they were like, yeah, totally you could. And so I cool. was like, wow, I could play footy. Um, yeah. Never having been in a wheelchair or anything like that, I was kind of like, I don't know how I'd go at it. Um, so that they were about to launch. So when the AFL launched AFL, women's AFL, they also launched wheelchair AFL at the same time. Yeah. So they were saying they were having some come and try days and all that sort of stuff. I didn't go the first year because I hadn't told anyone about my MS. Um, mm -hmm. So I wasn't com I wasn't comfortable yet sort of making it public, I guess. And, and I still wasn't really, I hadn't really processed it all either. So I was still trying to get my head around it effectively. So um, I didn't play the first year. I didn't go. They asked me to come down to a come and try and they have a draft, like a combine yep. thing. Um, but I didn't go the first year, but I kind of kept an eye on it online and stuff and watched. And then uh, they rang me at the start of the second year, which was March last year, February, March yep. last year. And they said, hey, Chris, do you want to come down and try out? And I was like, and I was talking to my wife and she was like, you miss footy. Why don't you go and try? So I went down to Burundara Sports Complex here in Baldwin. Yep. Um, and they whacked me in a wheelchair and it was, I don't know if you know the draft combine that AFL players do. Yep. But it's kind of like that. There's beat tests oh, yeah. and there's agility tests and then there's um, shuttle runs and all this sort of stuff where you've got a little wristband on and you, um, they time you and all this sort of stuff. So uh, we did all the testing in the morning for about three, two or three hours. Um, as you could guess, I was pretty crap because I'd never <laughs> been in the chair before. So I was pretty slow and not very good at steering it. Yeah. Um, and in the afternoon, we played a couple of scratch matches, like a couple of little games. Yep. Um, and I did okay. Uh, and so that was how I got. Um, so yes. So the, it was a come. There was about three come and try days, I think. So I went to the last one, and that night uh, they had the draft. So uh, yeah. So I was. I came home. I'd said to my wife, "Yeah, I was. I sucked. I was pretty crap." Um, came home. I told her not to even bother coming because it was no. I was, yeah. wasn't very good. <laughs> so I came home and we were sitting on the couch watching telly and I get a phone call and I, um, I played the message because I didn't answer it. Um, and it was uh, Matt Morris, who's the captain coach of Richmond, uh, to tell me that he drafted me. So, cool. um, yeah, pretty exciting and, and almost bizarre. Like I, you just – I was – I was kind of laughing and kind of sort of saying, Are you, have you got the right person? Are you sure it's me? Because I, I sucked. But he was like, no, no, I liked your hand pass. And I can teach you how to use a chair. So that's how it, that's wow. how it happened. Um, what was the feeling like when I obviously just explained it then, but like, you know, like what did you feel like even <sighs> when you went into like your first day? Yeah, the start was just, I just was like a, um, how old are you? 13. I reckon I felt like a 12 or 13 year old when I first found out I was drafted. I was literally like a little kid so excited with <laughs> getting drafted. Like I'm yeah. not 13, I'm not 12 or 13, I'm a lot older than that. So it was, I was excited 
And then when I got to go into Punt Road and we're sitting there in in the Morris Rioli room or in the boardroom and having dinner with the other Richmond people and they're giving us all these uniforms and, and backpacks oh. and jumpers and polos and wow. all this training we're doing, it just felt like a, like it was a dream. Um, yeah, it just felt like it was a, um, you just were, and like I didn't break for Richmond. So for me, um, you know, it was even, it was even weirder because they just made you feel so special. Yeah. So it was really cool. So, yeah. How much comfort did they give you? How much what? Comfort did they give you? Yeah, heaps. Yeah, really. They made us feel so welcome. They were, they were um, really supportive. Um, they were really inclusive. Um, you know, and even when we would we would train at Punt Road on a Friday night um, yeah. when there wasn't a game at the MCG, um, we'd train in the gym. We'd train with the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to know some of the female players. Um, and yeah, so they're very inclusive. They make you feel like you're part of the. They they talk around there being four um, four football teams, mm-hmm. the men's program, the the women's program, the the women's program and also the women's program AFL, women's program VFL and then the wheelchair team. So we we were considered part of the football, which was really cool. Yeah. Can you please give us a bit of an explanation about the rules of wheelchair football? Yeah, I can. So um, we played on a basketball court. Yep. There's five aside. So there's two defenders, two forwards and a ruckman or sort of mid, I guess. Yep. Um, I usually play, or I think that's a little. So the two, def- it's a bit like netball. The two defenders, the two backmen can only go, or boys or girls, the two back person can only go in the in the back half and in the middle third. Yep. They can't go into the forward fifty. If that makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. And then as the forwards, we can only go in the front two thirds. The mids or the ruckman can go yep. everywhere, all over the court. Um, we wear sashes, so like we have uh, the reds, uh, the backmen, the yellows are the forwards, and the pinks, the mid or ruck. Yeah. Uh, to so it's the way it works is um, a hand pass is like a kick, and underarm yep. throw is like a hand pass. So it's, uh, it's got to be about three meters. So yep. if I hand pass to you, and it's a hand pass, and you mark it, then you can go back behind the mark and take your hand pass kick. Yep. If, if if I throw it to you underarm, then it's play on. So yep. um, And it's crazy. Like there's some big hits and Oof. massive spills and people fall out of their chairs. So it's, oh. uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. How do you score a goal? Uh, at the end of end of both basketball courts, uh, there's goals and points. So it's exactly oh, the yeah. same. So two through the big sticks is a goal and, and to the either side is a point. So it's, so it's similar to footy like that. There's goals and behind and that sort of stuff, yeah. Do you train weekly at Richmond and how do you stay fit and healthy in order to be a threat to opponents in the wheelchair competition? Yeah, we train a couple of nights a week. So we train, uh, last year we trained up at a uh, primary school in Carlton. Yeah. So they, we use their facilities and then every, it, it probably once a, probably every four weeks we train at Punt Road at the gym there. It's not a full-size gym, so we couldn't train there all the time. And obviously, yeah. because it's next to the MCG, if there's a game on a Friday night, then we couldn't 
train there either because there's no where to park or anything. Yeah. Um, so we train twice a week and then we've all got our chairs at home. So um, I live in a complex here in Melbourne. So um, quite often people will see me buzzing around the car park, yeah. um, working on my strength or in the chair, practicing against the brick wall, hand passing to hit a target and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. um, we do those things. We still do pool and gym stuff as well. Um, but a lot of chair skills, obviously, are pretty important. So, yeah. What position do you play? I'm the I, I play sort of forward, so like one like full forward, I guess you say. Yep. Um, so I'm a bit like plugger, mate. I just sit at yeah. the guys. I'm not I'm not a buddy Franklin. I'm more of a plugger sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, tell us about your family and your life outside of football. Uh, yeah, so I'm married. We've just had our first little baby, so I've got to keep one ear out because he's six weeks today, uh, six weeks yesterday. So he's brand new little little boy, Ronnie, um, named after our, our grandfathers. Um, and so my wife and I live in Melbourne um, with with our little boy, and then with that we've got a, a dog as well, Ruby. She's oh, yeah. fifteen, so she's she's in the lounge going to sleep at the minute. Um, so that's our little family here in Melbourne. Um, we grew up, I grew up in Ballarat, so I'm a Ballarat boy. I still work yep. in Ballarat um, a little bit. So I'm up there a little bit with work and, and I'm in Melbourne. So, um, yeah, that's that's the family. Uh, what do you do for work? I work in an operations sales role with a company called Basecon, based out of Ballarat. So we put slabs in the ground. Um, so, yep. so, you know, people who build a house? Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually I was down at St. Leonard's, which is not far from you the other day. Yep. Um, so, so we help put slabs in the ground for builders around, around Australia really. But, um, so I help manage that sort of process with, with the guys in Ballarat. It must be amazing to be such, uh, to be part of a, such an iconic AFL club. How has Richmond embraced wheelchair football? Yeah, it's, that's. It's amazing. I didn't understand that, mate, when I started. I, I was excited to have a game of footy again yeah. after being diagnosed with MS. But what I learnt last year was that um, we have a really important, uh, we're important custodians of for people with disabilities. Yeah. So I've I've got to meet young people that are living wheelchairs who are genuinely so excited because we make being in a wheelchair, not only okay, but kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, they actually consider that what's happening in this situation is that, you know, we make it okay and it's, it, it, you know, and to wear the Richmond colours as well makes it even more exciting and more special, I think. Yeah. Um, we've had people watch us from all over, all over Australia and then reach out via social media to to say that their little boy or their little girl like is a mad Richmond wheelchair fan. And that's wow. really cool because yeah. um, we didn't get that. We, I didn't understand that when I started, it was just about yeah. wanting to play footy. And for me, it was just about, it was just a bit selfish really. But I, I realized as the year wore on that kids who are living in wheelchairs or who maybe have through an accident or something and now are yeah. in a wheelchair or have a disability, they actually see us as they, we make it normal for them and that's really powerful. Yeah. So that's really cool. Who do you admire? That's a really hard question. 
now I have to confess, you sent me some of these questions last night. So I was reading yeah. this and I was trying to think of who I admire. Um, and I could, and I was trying to think of like, you know, um, people that I admire and I, I could be cliched and I could talk about, I, I heard, I think people like Damien Hardwick and Brett Ratton, for instance, yep. as coaches in the AFL, I, I admire some of the things that they do, some of the adversity that they face over the years and some of the things that they, you know, Brett Ratton coaches St Kilda and, and what he's been through in a personal sense. Yeah. Um, but um, just as much I admire my wife for watching her go through pregnancy and, and everything last this year um i admire i couldn't do what she did so um yeah admire the really tough one mate because i think um it's really hard to think of i mean growing up i would have said i would have i would have admired footballers and i would have admired because i looked up to them and i idolized you know robert harvey and i was yeah. a saints man growing up and, and nikki winmar and plugger lockett and those kind yeah. of people um as you get older, I think I admire people who uh, are true to their, true to themselves, and and, and who who stand up for um, what's right, and and maybe um, are genuinely good people. I reckon that's that's who I admire. What would be your advice to anyone facing adversity who wants to be successful, like you, as an athlete and as a person? I think the hardest part is coming to terms with it and then being able to um, to talk about it. Yeah. I reckon it was really hard for me the first, as I said, the first, I reckon eight or nine months until I got my treatment right, I tried to do it on my own with my wife. And I think that that was probably a mistake. Yeah. Because as soon as I started to tell family and friends, then what happened was people were... Um, they were support. They were helpful. They were support. They would, they would reach out all the time and offer their help and support to not only yeah. me but to Holly and, and so I was trying to do all these things on my own, and I should have reached out for help, and so I think that, if I was going to give any advice to anyone, I would say that when you do face adversity, you have to be brave enough to be able to tell people and talk about it, and. And if you need help, you need to ask, you know, you need to say, hey, you yes. know, be accepting of the help and not hide away. And um, to be successful, I think the big, the biggest thing is to be, at, you know, to just do something you love, do it with passion, try your hardest, work your butt off. And then, um, yeah, I mean, again, at the start of the year last year, I wasn't even playing in the Richmond side. I was playing yeah. in, the, in the reserves and, um by the end of the year, inside, you know, the whole year as the year wore on, um, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, I, I won best on ground in the grand final by scoring five goals. We won by 14 points or whatever it was. And, um, and you know, that was so that's just hard work and a bit of luck and, and opportunities and, and some really good teamwork and really good support. People around me, my coaches and, and captains and teammates were amazing at helping me to become a better wheelchair footballer. So, um, yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing is just when, when you understand your new normal, be okay with that. Don't don't be too hard on yourself, um, and it's pretty exciting.
to, to see where you can end up because it's it's okay. Like it's you know, it's like anything. Like life can be a bit tricky at times, but um, you know you can sort of still face certain things, and it could be bad yeah. news, but it could turn into to good news. So. Thank you, Chris, for being on this episode of Sporting Max. Thanks very much for having me, mate. It was a pleasure. Tune in, guys, for some more Sporting Max podcasts. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. Be sure to like this episode and tune in on iTunes and SoundCloud. This episode was brought to you by Beckon, Melbourne's leading concrete placement specialist.